welcome back to Your Voice First podcast, where we're discussing the intersection of blockchain and voice technology. On today's episode, we're taking a look at the $600 million hack that happened on Poly Network and what's going on today. To get started, we're going to take a look at the seven design principles of a blockchain economy from Don and Alex Tapscott's Blockchain Revolution. The seven design principles of a blockchain economy include networked integrity, distributed power, value as incentive, security, privacy, rights preserved, and inclusion. For networked integrity, the basic principle, because the blockchain is spread out over thousands of computers, it's networked. And the participants in a blockchain economy are incentivized to maintain integrity, as every interaction is indelibly recorded. The problem solved. The less principled members of society can try and steal money in a lot of ways, the most notable being the double spend problem. In essence, this is when someone tries to use the same virtual dollar twice at the same time. The real issue is that we all rely on third parties to process transactions on the internet, such as banks, credit cards, etc., and the costs associated with this add up. But the breakthrough is by having networked integrity that relies on consensus to clear transactions through things like proof of work or proof of stake. We no longer need these intermediaries. The implications for the first time ever, we have a platform that ensures trust in transactions and recorded information no matter how the other party acts. My take on this one is we're finally pushing power into the network, away from centralized mediaries into the network. We didn't know if we could trust crowds and we're learning more over and over again. The crowds are where the power actually lies, not in the centralized institution. Number two, distributed power. The basic principle. No one person or organization has outsized control over the whole or access to an outsized amount of data. The problem solved. Companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and the like collect a lot of data on us as consumers. Whether customers know it or not, the data that they're collecting is virtual gold, and advertisers are willing to pay billions just for that data because it allows for uber-targeted ads to meet the just right internet user at just the right time. The two problems with this is one, our data is being monetized and we aren't getting equal benefits for it, and any type of breach of this said data exposes us to major problems. The breakthrough here is bootstrapping. That's the word um, for the process of mining or maintaining the network. In effect, Bitcoin worked because users all over the world were willing to use their extra computer power, like on their laptop, to either one, mine new Bitcoins, or two, download the blockchain for Bitcoin, ensuring another failsafe. The implications here, in essence, governments would have less ability to freeze or seize assets, but the authors focused on how this could create new wealth via mining. Number three, value as incentive. The basic principle here is that all stakeholders have aligned incentives. You can both one, work for your own selfish interests, but that will two, benefit the whole as well. The problem solved here, just look at the banking crisis. While many of us think that those that kept peddling subprime loans were greedier than the average citizen, the fact is that most of us would have done the exact same thing given the uh, incentive structure that was in place at banks. The breakthrough here, the real difference is that reputation matters. That's true in the real world as well, but in the virtual blockchain economy, 
it would likely be less concentrated on star power, such as how many CEOs walked away with billion dollar bonuses and no consequences. Also, given the way blockchain technology works, criminals would hypothetically have to expend way too much time and energy to steal money than it would be worth. The implications here, in essence, the most hardcore adherence to the status quo would argue that this is how the American economy is already designed. But you can't underscore the importance of a decentralized monetary system that rewards the collective when participants act in their own best interest. Number four, security. The basic principle. Because of the distributed nature of blockchain technology, there's no central point of failure and reckless behavior on the part of one person, such as sharing a password, is limited to damage for that person. The problem solved, um, wow, this could be a really big one, but a stolen identity, credit card breaches at major retailers, this shouldn't take too much imagination to understand. Typically when you lose a password, it could mean major disruption and theft inside of the system as a whole. But now if you lose your password, it's limiting the damage to only one person. The breakthrough here is public key infrastructure, otherwise called PKI. Basically, it works like a safety deposit box with two keys, one to encode, one to decode. These are uh, asymmetric keys. As long as you aren't dumb and share your private key with someone else, you're safe. Implications here are major. Um, not having to rely on passwords is incredibly game-changing across the board in every industry and every vertical. Number five, privacy. The basic principle, people get to be in complete control of their data. The problem solved, just about every technology company out there collects and mines data and is able to monetize it. When that data is breached or when the government coerces these companies to turn over their data, your privacy is compromised. The breakthrough, in the case of Bitcoin, no real world identity was needed to register. That's not necessarily the same for other websites as you have to have a username, a password, a Facebook account, a Google account, or something else to register. Obviously that's pretty easy to work around sometimes, but not having to have that barrier to entry and being able to maintain your privacy is very important. Implications. If you have complete control over your second life or your virtual life, it's gonna be a big deal and the right to having privacy is different from respecting that right and enforcing it at a core protocol level. And blockchain technologies do not only say you have a right to privacy, but they also enforce it at a protocol level. Number six, rights preserved. The basic principle here, rights and freedoms are clear and enforceable as they become part of the blockchain. The problem solved, there's a lot of problems. Here in the US, uh, many people have trouble enforcing intellectual property rights or dealing with anonymous defamation. Abroad, property and civil rights can be readily trampled upon either by stronger parties or by their governments. The breakthrough here is smart contracts, which basically allow for transactions to proceed only when predefined benchmarks have been reached and agreed upon by all parties. The implications, this is a big one that will require um, a lot deeper diving but basically, as soon as someone loses the ability to use a work of any type via a smart contract agreement, then the owner of that work would be able to enforce his or her own rights contractually on a blockchain. No judge needed, no uh, third party human police officer needed, all enforced on the blockchain. And the final principle, inclusion. 
The basic principle here is everyone in the world should have the ability to participate in the global blockchain economy. The problem solved. There are reportedly over 2 billion people worldwide that don't have access to even a bank account. The breakthrough here is simple, Simplified Payment Verification, or SPV, used in Bitcoin. Um, they made it so that even a flip phone could function as a conduit for phone funds. Implications here, this is a huge deal and makes it far easier for the world's poorest to become players in the global economy. Now that we've talked about seven design principles of a blockchain economy, let's look at the $6 million hack that happened um, on the Poly Network. Arguably, this is one of the largest bank heists in the history of money, let alone cryptocurrency. So this morning, there's reports that Poly Network, which is a cross-chain interoperability bridge for decentralized finance, yes, say that like 30 times fast, uh, was hacked <laughs> to a tune of $600 million across three different chains. So basically what this project does, it's you can access decentralized finance across three different blockchains, Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, and the Polygon Network. That interoperability became an attack surface and it was attacked by this hacker and they, were, they managed to steal assets from each one of those chains and each chain had different asset breakdowns across them. So they stole a whole sleuth of money. Uh, if we're looking back across bank heist and cryptocurrency, this comes out to probably the largest in terms of USD value. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of epic heists inside of crypto itself, going back to Mt. Gox, uh, which of course, which kind of set the stage for the next 10 years this one really interesting uh in terms of like size and hacks ever or bank heists ever um looking at moneywise.com we're looking at the largest bank heist and the largest i'm seeing is 920 million dollars uh, from the bank of iraq during the uh u.s iraq invasion there and they stole yeah 920 million dollars so this is like up there with the top bank heist ever which is just fascinating to see and i think a lot of times people are looking at these DeFi hacks and being like oh it didn't like affect me it's just a number out there who knows if this is even real money but it is real money like 600 million dollars was stolen this morning and a lot of people are unhappy uh across the DeFi space and this comes after just a string of hacks during the last year and i'm wondering what the repercussions of something like this is going to be right in the middle of this regulatory ire on Capitol Hill. So Zach, I want to throw this over to you. What's your first take on this hack? Yeah, this is uh, testing and prod gone very, very wrong. Uh, and I think we're seeing that huge number because Will, as you mentioned, right, it's three separate sort of networks that, uh, you know, the, the cumulative value of the funds that were stolen here uh, is quite notable. So this is, uh, yeah, this is a big one. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. The team behind the project is already calling for uh, mining firms and crypto exchanges to blacklist these addresses. These addresses are uh, marked on the respective blockchain explorers of the Ethereum, Polygon, and BSC networks at this point in time. Uh, some of these funds are on the move. I think we, we saw earlier in our Slack that something like 100 million uh, from the BS, in the BSC address was already on the move. Uh, so even though um, the hacker may not get away with the full sum, uh, it's still a big, big pie to be sliced. So it's gonna be really interesting to see if this, form, if this informs any conversations around DeFi regulation, um, but certainly it's a black eye for an emerging sector as cross-chain DeFi starts to find its, find its footing. So it's uh, gonna be interesting to see what, plays, what, like, what happens here because people are certainly watching these addresses very closely right now and trying to track where these funds are headed and who is holding them. I'll toss it back to you, Will. I think you found an interesting thing before we went live. 
Yeah, so I think I forget what the site is called, but there's a Chinese, uh, oh, Chain News, excuse me. Chain News is like a Chinese DeFi website that kind of tracks a lot of these hacks. And they noted that one security firm has already found a lot of information relating to the hacker. Uh, they were using Monero and they swapped into a bunch of different assets but they were leaving a lot of fingerprints along the way. So they even have their IP address and it seems like their geographic location based on that IP address, which we've seen that before in other DeFi hacks where someone steals a lot of money, but they left some uh, bread trails that uh, white hat hackers are able to come back and kind of figure out who was behind it. And basically in these situations, you see most of the funds being returned, if not all of them, because the local authorities get involved, which kind of, brings you back to the whole question to centralized finance. At some point, there's going to be a meet space, meeting digital space, and you can put someone in cuffs if you need to. But interesting to see that aspect kind of pop up in here. Naomi, I want to get your thoughts on this one. $600 million, that cuts up there with some of the biggest heists ever. In terms of the DeFi space, and then looking back at the Nessian Bitcoin space in the early days, how do you kind of uh, like mentally categorize these, these uh, hacks? I categorize this as big, very big. I mean, it's, it's pretty epic. Like we, um, we often think of crypto world as just solving all these problems, right? Because it takes out middlemen who can be uh, compromised, who could be corrupt, who can make mistakes, all of these things. Um, but we don't remember that code is written by people and people are fallible and you know there can be exploits there that we need to be aware of so when people put all their money and they're like well i trust code it's like well you should trust the people verifying that code too and the audits and all of that um so i think that definitely we need uh to put more emphasis on the research going into these things and the audits and making these things publicly scrutinized if we are going to be moving towards a world where we don't have you know these these people protecting us from our decisions like we don't want that that world we want a world where we can make our own decisions but you know it's important to remind people that they should be making good decisions and like it, it also comes into you know um it brings into question the the idea of like security in the digital age in general like we just had this belarus hack this week which was like we have like the, the biggest bank heist and then the biggest belarus hack like digital security is so uh important right now and, and we just need to be saying that over and over again and as individuals all be making smarter choices uh with protecting ourselves So two of the principles I want to briefly touch on here. One, at the end, they mentioned security. Because of the distributed nature of the blockchain, there's no central point of failure. But in this case, it was a smart contract. And that goes down to the rights preserved uh, principle. Um, rights and freedoms are clear and enforceable as they become part of the blockchain. So the smart contract that was deployed on the Poly network had a vulnerability and the hacker was able to leverage that vulnerability to hack the system and steal $600 million, which is a lot of money. And one of the nice parts about the blockchain is the hack is publicly visible. We don't have to wait for the central authority to release data on whose data was stolen, where was it stolen, how much was stolen, who stole it, where they move it to. All of that data is publicly visible on the blockchain these news reporters the same day that the hack happened were able to see the exact transaction that happened on each of the blockchains see where that money was moved see who moved it what their ip address was and lots of different search parties can go out and try to hunt this person down and then once 
those individual investigators find information, they can send it again back to the traditional finance world of police officers who can go and arrest the person and enforce justice. But um, what's interesting about this hack is no actual laws were broken. The hacker followed all the laws that existed in the smart contract. He just leveraged a, an, a rule that was not written properly in the smart contract and was able to leverage that to his advantage. If you're familiar with the original DAO hack that happened on Ethereum, um, a similar thing happened where investors put 100, over $100 million, I believe, into a decentralized autonomous organization. And then a hacker was able to uh, leverage a, a vulnerability in that smart contract as well to steal uh, a lot of the money. And stealing isn't really the right word. He just found a vulnerability and used it to his advantage. Um, what the Ethereum Foundation ended up doing is rolling back the hack, um, so rolling back the blockchain to a previous state. And then that is what inevitably led to the hard fork between Ethereum Classic, which did not enforce that change and enforced that the code is law. We need to let that hack happen, even though a bunch of people's money were stolen. The code at the end of the day is law. And then the new Ethereum, which um, is what most people call Ethereum today, which said, hey, um, yes, code is law, but this hack was a really big deal for the network and it's up. the network has the potential to make it right and we're gonna make it right. Um, so two different core fundamental philosophies and what's nice about the blockchain is you as the consumer can decide which philosophy do you want and you can put your money there and you can make transactions there, build your applications there, live your life there, all following the seven design principles of a blockchain economy. That being said, Let's move into the next section, which I'm going to read a section on openness from the book, How to Change Your Mind, The New Science of Psychedelics by Michael Pollan. So although this book is talking about psychedelics, the main point I'm trying to raise is that of the value of being open to new experiences. These anecdotal reports discovered that in many cases, the psilocybin experience had led to lasting changes in their personality. In addition to lasting improvements in well-being, long-term increases in the personality trait of openness to experience. One of the five traits psychologists use to assess personality. The other four are conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Openness encompasses aesthetic appreciation and sensitivity, fantasy and imagination, as well as tolerance of others' viewpoints and values. It also predicts creativity in both the arts and the sciences, as well as, presumably, a willingness to entertain ideas at odds with those of current science. Such pronounced and lasting changes in the personalities of adults are rare. The reason I include this reading on openness is when I first started building my technology company, I was very set that voice was the new, uh, the new web three, that we went from traditional web into mobile web and then into voice, and that voice was gonna be the fundamental force that changes the internet. Being open has allowed me to see the value of blockchain technology and to realize that blockchain is a core protocol that has principles that include every person from around the globe, preserves people's rights, includes privacy, etc. Whereas voice technology is built on top of centralized platforms like Amazon, does not protect users' privacy, exposes all that data to centralized platforms like Amazon, 
Um, rights aren't really being preserved. Um, and it's not a protocol change, it's more a technology that's being built in centralized hubs. Now there are exceptions to this. The Jovo framework is an amazing technology built by Alex and Jan, and they're doing a really incredible job of open sourcing a lot of that voice technology, and there are full stack solutions you can build. That being said, voice is an interface. It's not a core protocol, it is an interface you can use to access protocols. So you can use voice technology to access the traditional web two technologies. You can also, in the future, leverage uh, voice technologies and interface on top of blockchain protocol. So being open in this space and having an openness to new ideas can allow you to be flexible to take advantage of new opportunities as they arise instead of being closed off to new experiences and becoming extinct uh, as the world around you changes. Now let's turn it back to the $600 million hack of the Poly Network by looking at an email from the hacker themselves. This email was sent from the hacker to the Poly Network on August 10th at 11.35 p.m. Hello, Poly Network team. I am the owner of wallet 0xc8a blah 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 9963 and the exploiter who hacked who extracted the funds. I started studying to become a blockchain developer. I decided that the best way to get better is trying to tackle some of the most complex of contracts. Cross-chain protocols are not easy to test locally, so I decided to test it on mainnet. That led to your displeasure and my surprise. I want to cooperate. There is no way for me to launder this amount of money. Give me some ideas. I did not commit a crime because I just used the contracts. It is your fault for not testing it enough. If we do not come to an agreement, I will send it all to dead address or figure out something more fun. My take on all this? Holy crap. This hacker really just threw in the word something more fun when he's talking about playing around with $600 million in funds. Everyone in the world can see exactly how this hacker got in. They can look at the network. They can see him sneak in the exact time that he snuck in, the exact amount that was stolen and where it went. And this guy has the audacity to send an email to the network that he stole from and say, this is your fault that you were stolen. You wrote an insecure contract that was not audited. He didn't break any laws, which is very true. He just leveraged a security flaw of the contract. And now he's coming back and saying, I want to cooperate. Um, but if we don't come to an agreement, I'm just going to destroy it all. I'm just going to send it somewhere or I'm going to do something more fun. This blockchain space is very exciting and the principles that make it all possible are accelerating a lot of trends while enabling new trends that were not possible in the legacy era. You never see $600 million hacks on voice technology, but the hacker is using their voice to communicate with the team. Um, the blockchain network is using its voice to communicate on the network. All of these different actors are communicating using their voices, whether that's in strictly text format or on the audio segment that we included earlier today, or in metadata that is recorded on a blockchain. Voice is essential, communication is essential, and voice is one of the most important, if not the most important, interface for this blockchain economy. Thanks for tuning in. This is Sweets, signing off. Thank you.